why do you have to provide a fixed retention to a patient? If you take care of the cause of the problem, you don't need to give a retention appliance. If the teeth are relapsing back outwards, it's because the tongue is giving you a message. I don't have space. Yeah. Give me space. It's just giving you a message. On the other hand, you're telling the tongue, no, shut up and sit there. I'm going to hold you in there. Well, it's going to take a toll on the body because the tongue is going to, you're pushing the tongue back, it's going to fall back, sleep apnea, and yes. there you go. <laughs> it's so good to uh, be talking with you again, Dr. Raj, after we... Yes. We had some good talks back in September in London when we went to the Mewing uh-huh. Conference. Uh-huh. Excellent. Uh-huh. And you've just been at some other events in Dubai and Geneva. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Lots of interest. Someone's following me. I <laughs> <laughs> keep tracks on you. Yeah, I keep tracks. Um, right, well, let's dive into an interesting conversation because the work you are doing is very, very important that parents understand because the world of orthodontics, it's like two bipolar philosophies right now. We've got the old school way with the braces and tooth extractions, which I'm sure you were taught in your undergraduate degree doing dentistry. Absolutely. So, Talk yeah. me through how did you move on from what you were taught in your general dental degree and how you moved towards neuromuscular dentistry? Well, you got the term right. It's neuromuscular dentistry. I would rather call it functional neuromuscular dentistry because um, out in dental school, they never teach you enough about the function uh, when it comes to uh, practical dentistry, unfortunately. And I was led to it by my mentor, Dr. Fabio, in uh, in Italy, not Italy. And I was there, I spent three years at his office, uh, amazed at the kind of work that he does, uh, because uh, his perspective, and which is what I follow right now, is uh, majorly interceptive orthodontics, uh, from a functional point of view. People do interceptive orthodontics, but not with function kept in mind. Uh, to the extent that we call extraction orthodontics, which is uh, contemporary orthodontics, as amputation orthodontics, right? Okay. So my practice currently is uh, 100% TMD and sleep medicine. Mm-hmm. It's not something I always wanted to do, uh, because I was always interested in interceptive orthodontics. But then um, the number of patients that are, that are really out there struggling uh, with pain and uh, functional disorders like sleep apnea, uh, postural dystonia, uh, the, it's, uh, it's amazing. It's just a lot of, a lot of people out there suffering. And because I said my practice was 100% uh, towards this, at least 95% would, I would call it iatrogenic dentistry. <laughs> they would be because of extraction orthodontics. What, what was that term you just said? <laughs> iatrogenic. Okay. Iatrogenic. It's uh, because of faulty dentistry. Hmm. Uh, they wouldn't call it faulty. It's because it's a mainstream dentistry and that's how contemporary dentistry is practiced. Mm. Uh, as an example, even from a simple filling, uh, when they check the bite, they use uh, 
150, 200 micron papers, articulating papers, when you're actually supposed to use something as thin as 5 to 8 micron, because that is the proprioception levels of your occlusion, of your bite. Mm. So uh, there is technology out there. It's just that dentists aren't aware enough and they don't want to spend enough on occlusion. Mm. They'd rather uh, spend all of all the money that they're making or invested in uh, ceramic courses or uh, Hollywood smile courses. Yes, uh, Only if they did some spending, yeah, and cosmetic, yeah. Mm. Only if they did some spending on occlusion as well, they would realize uh, that they can, you know, be more than just tooth doctors. Yes. So you've got patients coming into you having had ceramics filling in their teeth and then it puts the jaw alignment out so their occlusion is off and now they're having functional problems, which I'm guessing is going to lead to TMJ pain, asymmetries, because if the occlusion is thrown off, then the impact put on the jaws every day through chewing starts to reflect in the rest of the structure because it's all connected. So you're saying a lot of your patients come with correct general conventional dentistry and when it's gone wrong. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And that too, not immediately because, you know, they're just going around in circles. Uh, Unfortunately, one of the first symptoms that they have is not related to the teeth or anywhere in the jaw. The first symptom that they normally get would be a headache or a migraine or neck pains. Mm. And why would any patient suffering from headaches or migraine come to a dentist? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, you can't blame the patient for that. And even if they've gone to a dentist, the dentist has no uh, idea about this. Again, it's because of awareness issues. and It's not taught in dental school or medical school enough that uh, an occlusion can cause those issues. And this has been my biggest challenge in the 20 years that I've been doing this. Uh, creating that awareness among patients and even among doctors that, okay, you don't have to go study, but at least start referring them uh, to doctors who do it. So tell us quickly, what would be some of the funny symptoms patients get that they wouldn't even think is related to their jaws and their teeth? How does it manifest in other ways in their health? That's a good question. So like I said, the uh, one of the first symptoms is uh, unrelenting headaches. They just don't go away and they go to a, a, an ENT, an otolaryngologist, or they go to a, a neurologist and they just prescribe drugs and the pain still don't go away. And then they are erroneously diagnosed as migraines because mm. that's not what a migraine is. Uh, just because a doctor is not being able to become a good diagnostician doesn't mean that the patient is really suffering from that faulty diagnosis, uh, which is why diagnosis plays a huge role. And when you say a uh, funny symptom, I wouldn't call it funny because the patient is really suffering. I feel bad for them. But one of the odd things that I normally see is postural dystonia. I had a patient who'd come in all the way from Austria uh, in Europe, uh, searching for someone like us. And uh, she came in because she felt that the day she got a filling done on one of the teeth, her whole body started started to jerk every time she start, you know, tried to stand erect. 
her whole body was choking. Mm. And she knew it. It started with a filling. So the dentist tried to grind that filling off, get the bite right, uh, did root canal, removed the tooth. But the sensitivity caused because of that stimulus of that high filling has already uh, affected her CMS and her nervous system. So uh, we had to reprogram the nerves with specific equipments. There's no surgery involved in what we do. I think we'll get to that later. But mm-hmm. yeah, we could help her out by reprogramming that nervous system with various methods that we employ in our protocols. I guess saying... But yeah, that's... it's so. So people say... Sorry, just one sentence. People say... Uh, sorry, I like talking a lot. I get very passionate with this. Sorry, I'm so sorry. sorry. <laughs> so, so uh, people say it's like magic. It's not magic. It's just logic. If you know, if you understand the physiology of the human body, uh, it's easy to help them out. Yeah. So when you say she's getting twitches or a pain, is that because the spine is out of alignment because her jaw is out of alignment? Or maybe her breathing's making her breathe yeah, poorly. Yeah. And so once this is off, like this, then the spine's crooked and it's it's putting pain or pressure on a disc or something that's affecting the spine. And how painful. That's like living with chronic pain. Or we've got people who live yeah, with so we, because they don't breathe well when that's all off. Yeah, that too. I mean, it's 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 just one human body that's, you know, uh, connected to each other with ligaments and muscles and nerves and fascia. It's, uh, you, you, you cannot be a neurologist if you're not helping the patient's muscles. You cannot be a good physiotherapist if you're not helping with the patient's uh, occlusion. You cannot be a good uh, myofunctional therapist if you do not understand where the condyles need to be within the TMJ. It's, and I, I do not recommend one doctor do everything. You've got to have a good team. Uh, you need to have a team of specialists, of all the specialists that I mentioned, uh, who can work together, leaving alone their egos and, no, I can do everything myself or uh, I'm better at doing this and that. No, got to come in t- uh, you know, to a team together. So that has been my biggest challenge whenever I set up my centers. Uh, to find the right team. It's always difficult to get the right ENT, uh, the right uh, physiotherapist, the right chiropractor, the right myofunctional therapist who can uh, work in as part of a team because they don't work as a team. Yeah. So TMD, I don't, I stopped calling it TMD. I call it CCMD now because it's cranio-cervical mandibular disorder. Mm. It's a cascading, uh, it's got a cascading effect. It's like, it's a domino effect. It could be ascending. It could be descending. Mm-hmm. So people with a short foot might end up with a migraine. And they're having drugs all their life. And all they needed was a foot orthotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then uh, the uh, the treating doctor is not looking at the posture. Uh, and vice versa. If you have a bad occlusion, you might end up with leg cramps. So... Uh, We've treated patients who have been given neck braces. They don't, have, they don't need a brace anymore because if the jaw is off, there's going to be a compensation in the head posture, which will lead to a compensation. Shoulder posture, hip posture, hip rotation, and your foot pronation. So, again, it's all about diagnosis. If yeah. you get your diagnosis right, 
if you have your protocols perfect, then you're not just uh, looking at the teeth anymore. You're looking at the uh, entire human being's health in total. Yes. So would you compare neuro neuromuscular Muscular. dentistry to myofunctional orthodontics? Sorry, bit of a tongue twister, bit of a brain freeze. Is it like myofunctional orthodontics <laughs> or is it different? Are you doing different things back here with the cranium, whereas myofunctional's oral and facial muscles? Well, like, okay, I go back to what I said uh, just a while ago. It's, uh, it's again, not just dental or muscles. There's always also the cervical part. So we employ a lot of... Uh, have you heard of Mariano Roccobado? No. Who is she? No? Okay, so he's this uh, chiropractor. It's a he. Uh, he is a chiropractor based in Chile uh, who has these uh, techniques that helps dentists with stretching and uh, decompressing the T0-C1, C1-C2, C1, and C2-C3. Uh which would then make sure that the jaw is also in the right position. And to maintain that position, we need to give them an orthotic. Because if you do not hold... So the jaw position changes with every change in the cervical position and vice versa. Okay. Interesting. To maintain the whole thing, to maintain the whole posture... So the, there's a misconception that the postural chain starts from the C1. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, the postural chain starts from your dental occlusion. Mm. The superior most movable joint is your dental occlusion. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And from there, it goes downwards. Because if you do not have this in control, no matter what work you do on your body, it's going to relapse. Yes. Because this is still off. Yes. And vice versa, because I have, I have provided several patients with not just an intraoral orthotic, but also a foot orthotic because that also needs to be taken care of. Yeah. Maybe once you give an orthotic in the mouth, whoa, suddenly one foot is shorter than the other. Yes. And that just came out of the blue. Is this... Because the body has been compensating for that all that while. Right. Just so that I'm clear, is an orthotic in the mouth like wearing a, a dental splint? Is that what's happening to balance it? Yes, yes. We don't call it a splint uh, because splints are generally worn uh, half of the day. You don't wear it while chewing. You don't wear it most of the time while swallowing. You don't wear it while sleeping. Maybe they wear it just while sleeping. So they are known as deprogramming splints. Okay. okay? They just deprogram. They do not reprogram. Ah. I call my splints as reprogramming orthotics well the reason for that is it's a very good question you come up with the reason why i named them those is because uh as a student in dental school uh you do not know even now they're taught the same thing you do not know where exactly the jaw wants to be mm. mm -hmm. but with neuromuscular functional dentistry since you measure the emgs with every jaw position in live mode, you know where exactly, precisely, mm. that jaw has to be. Okay. 
And hence, we can finish that patient dentally hmm. on that jaw position. Okay. And hence, they are known as reprogrammers. Is it an appliance? that you saying they're eating with it, they're sleeping with it. So this is helping yes. balance the yes. muscles so the jaw bones find that yes. sweet spot. Exactly. Okay. Yes, okay. exactly. And, and, and you got to keep doing corrections on that orthotic because... The body, the whole body, it's not just the jaw. The whole body has an effect because of that. Yeah. So every time you do a rocobardo correction for the, as an example, for the uh, cervical uh, vertebrae, there's going to be a change in bite. I'm talking about microns here. I mm-hmm. said five to eight microns to check the conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. So we got to make sure we have technology to start measuring from five to eight microns. Mm-hmm. So there is always a bite change. Mm-hmm. Um there is always a bite change after a month of MFT. There is always a bite change after a tongue tie release. And, and I'm talking about microns change. Mm-hmm. I, in my protocol, we keep correcting the bite. So we can't do everything together, right? So we first get the bite registered. We then get the uh, MFT started. We get, we then get the tongue tie released if required. We then get the uh, cervical straightened. We then go into expansion. At every point of these protocols, there would be a change in the musculature and hence the jaw wants to keep changing. Mm-hmm. And we keep measuring the, with the myographs, we keep measuring how those muscles are at every point, at every juncture during the treatment. So that orthotic helps reprogram the muscles mm-hmm. to get the jaw to an ideal stable position till you see no more changes in the bite. Yes. That generally takes about three to four months, four to six months on an average. This is amazing. I Why are not more orthodontists doing this? So fixing the muscles first and then doing expansion. <sighs> I had done that. Yeah. See, mm-hmm. there you go. That's because they are orthodentists. It's it's about the way you're schooled. Mm. It's, I, I'm no god who suddenly started doing all of this, right? I've been an orthodontist when I was... I mean, I'm an orthodontist, so I've done this long ago. Mm. I used to do extractions, pull back, fix retention. It's just that they still do that. People are not thinking, why do you have to provide a fixed retention mm. to a patient? Yeah. The last time I gave a retention appliance to any patient was 20 years ago. Good. If you take care of the cause of the problem, you don't need to give a retention appliance. If the teeth are relapsing back outwards, it's because the tongue is giving you a message, I don't have space. Yeah. Give me space. It's just giving you a message. On the other hand, you're telling the tongue, no, shut up and sit there. I'm going to hold you in there. Well, it's going to take a toll on the body because the tongue is going to, you're pushing the tongue back, it's going to fall back, sleep apnea, and yes. there you go. You said that so clearly and simply, it makes yeah. such sense that the tongue is going to do what it's been doing. <laughs> Thank you. you need to retrain it or give it space to yeah. balance properly. And uh, yeah. Yeah, this is what needs to be injected into. Well, gym. in my, so, so in, in my part of the world, for example, uh, we see a lot of bimax, bimaxillary protrusion 
because that's how the genetics is in, in my part of the world. Uh, you are forced to do extraction orthodontics. I get that. Okay. I understand that. But always follow it up with expansion. Okay. But then when so they say. You can do oh, it. Yeah. Again, it's, it's not, there's, no, there's no thumb rule. Okay. Sorry. Would the patient then complain, you've expanded me while taking out teeth. Now I have big gaps that I don't like. So shouldn't we try to expand and keep all the teeth? Um, for, for a bimaxillary prognatic patient, uh, you need to pull back a little. So these jaws are already wide enough. How much can you expand, right? So what you need to do is when you, extra, when you ex extract and pull back, mm. then the jaw constricts a bit. Then orthodontists forget to expand at that point of stage. Okay. You need to expand at that point of time as well. Okay. So to let the audience understand, you so have important. a clinic in India. And so you're saying in the genetics with an Indian facial type tip. No, no, <laughs> no, I have. Four clinics in India. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> you got the number wrong. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. just, just pulling a leg. Just pulling you a leg. Sprawl. Okay. You're sprawling across the continent. Um, great. Well done. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a plan. Yes. Well done. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Well, there's not enough doctors doing this, so there you go. Yeah. Well, that's interesting how you're saying there are different facial types depending on the geographic region that you're in. So, I mean, if you're in the Middle East, you might have a longer, slender facial type with a longer nose because they have a dry, arid yes. climate. If you're in yes. Africa or somewhere really humid in Southeast Asia, they'll have... But the longer nose... Square. The longer nose... Yeah. Square, more uh, short faces. But the longer nose is also a problem because they're very narrow. Yeah. Yeah, the longer nose is very narrow. Uh, uh, they also would have a deep palate. Uh, again, maybe a uh, tongue posture problem. Maybe uh, so. I've seen a lot of uh, the Middle Eastern uh, origin people having uh, a tongue posture issue. Uh, it could be uh, you know a cultural thing. Breastfeeding is not enough in the recent days. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I've not done any research on that, so I, sh I should not be even uh, hinting on it. But it does look like a tongue posture problem because most of the patients I see have a very high arch, deep palate. Um, so if the palate goes in deep, uh, the septum, the nasal septum rests on it, it's going to bend. Hmm. And, uh, you know, most of these patients have uh, very narrow nasal airways, which would then lead to uh, allergies and rhinitis and asthma. So when we expand, okay, so here's the thing. Um, the most uh, relapsed surgery in ENT is the septoplasty for your deviated nasal septum. Mm -hmm. uh, the cause for that is the ENT, the concerned ENT, disregards the uh, the cause for that problem, which is the deep palate. Mm. So when you're expanding, you got to get that palate downward as well. Mm -hmm. Hence, there are a lot of uh, surgeries, uh, implant-based surgeries to expand the palate. 
Mm. Uh, I'm I'm okay with those, provided the palate drops down. Yeah. Uh, which is why I would always prefer going with the physiological expansion route, like appliances like ALF or the DNA, which would provide for the drop down, unlike the implant-assisted expansion surgical procedures, along with the septoplasty. Only then would the patient be rid of the actual cause of the problem. Yes. As well as MFT and tongue tongue posturing. (laughs) Let's not forget that. That's so interesting because you want the palate to drop so the tongue can contact with it so that the nasal cavity is now more open so breathing is easier than going to septoplasty, which is just tinkering with the midline of the nose and not opening it up. With um, the type of appliance, you said some are quite good at dropping down the palate. But if you had an MSE, which is drilling into the palate directly with screws, does that have the effect of developing the palate and dropping it? Or is it just widening widening it, but keeping it high? Uh, MSE is, so I, uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Dr. Robert Walker. He, he professes uh, the, uh, the theory of chirodontics. So uh, I did this course under him and it somehow made sense to me that uh, when you're doing a maxillary expansion with implants, uh, if this is the palate, when you expand, it goes this way. It goes this way. It doesn't go this way. Mm-hmm. It goes this way. Because there are bony structures connected to the palate behind namely the sphenoid bone, which is now under enormous pressure because it goes this way. Mm. So unless you do some suture releases for that sphenoid bone, that patient might, yes, have a bigger palate and more airway, but would still have headaches because the sphenoid is now under unwanted pressure. Yes. So you got to learn. So, uh, and he taught us the, Technique. So right now, I'm recalling all my MSC patients that I did, the MARPE, the implant-assisted surgical expansion cases. I'm calling them all back, and I'm releasing them. Mm. Uh, And they say it's much better after the release. Maybe I need to fly to India to one of your colleagues. If you don't have a... Because I have these issues. (laughs) No, I don't think... I do well, have an expansion, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm really larger still. It might be muscular. I'm I'm really proud of uh, I'm it's everything again. It's not just muscular, but I'm really proud of my uh, protocols because uh, this is what uh, I know. I may be sounding a little arrogant when I say this, but here's the thing: uh, if you go to a specialist like a tongue tie specialist, all they do is tongue tie. If you go to uh, an expansion specialist, all they do is expansion. Mm. You go to an orthodontist, all they do is orthodontics. Mm. If you go to a chiropractor, all they do is chiropractic. So uh, I'm really proud of the fact that uh, we have our protocols include all of these things. And we're still searching. We're still looking around. Uh, we're doing chirodontics now, uh, releasing sutures, because that's also important. But mm. when you place an orthotic and you're trying to expand, Naturally, the sutures want to release itself, right? You got to help it. You got to guide the body. The body wants to heal itself, yep. but you got to help it do that. So that guidance has to be given. And if you have an open mind, you would 
your protocols would always be changing. Every two, three months, our protocols change. Maybe but just by a bit. Hmm. For example, um, you might have heard of uh, Ms. Uh, Lewis Laney. Mm-hmm. She does the cranial nerve screening a lot. Yeah, so I did her course like six years ago. And I was like, wow, at that point of time. Every time, as an example, uh, the uvula changing its position mm-hmm. and uh, you do some uh, vagal training on that uvula, my bite changes. There's a change in my jaw position. So, uh, and cranial nerve screening now forms an important part in our diagnostic protocol. And that's just one of the nerves. There are 11 more. So you got to correct them all. You got to see if they're all functioning. It hardly takes five, six minutes, not more than that, right? Wow. So to clarify for people listening, the uvula, that little bit of dangly skin in the throat, you're massaging this or tickling it. Like, how are we retraining this to make another di- <laughs> I've never heard of such a thing. So it's effect <laughs> on other muscles oh. in the throat and the neck. Yeah. So because... Because the vagus nerve, the vagus nerve, uh, uh, so that's how a body has been manufactured. Uh, every nerve has a give. So uh, the vagus, the give is the uvula. If you see the uvula tilted this way or that way, all you need to do is take a long Q-tip and go tickle, 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 20 times every day. In about two months, suddenly your vagal tone has improved, you're breathing better, your uh, digestive system is better, uh, you know, your whole body is functioning better. Uh, we as dentists have learned all of this, but are not applying it. So it's like applied anatomy. Uh, we're, not, we're just not using it. It's, it's sad, but yeah, but this is why I'm proud of the protocols that I do, because it's all in composite. My clinic is known as the Right Bite Sleep and TMJ Pain Care because mm. it's all about the bite. So we have four centers in India. We have just opened up our center in Dubai, in Jeddah, and we are op- tying up with a university in Nepal, in Kathmandu. Uh, and in about two, three months' time, we are looking to open in Mexico because uh, we have a very... Uh, so we do these courses and students come from all over the world to learn from us. Dentists mainly come from all over the world to learn from us. And they're just so enamored by what we do that they just want an easy way out and get lined up with the right bite. And that's what we do So uh, to help patients all across the world. Instead of getting them all the way to Dubai or India, no, we come to you because in the developing part of the world, there are not enough doctors who do this. Well, even in the developed, that's a different story, but yeah. developing is hardly any. Wow. Yeah. People will be so happy to hear that because I get messages now on Instagram since talking about this topic and they say, oh, there's no functional orthodontist mm-hmm. in Dubai or I can't find one where I am and there's somewhere in the Middle East or, I mean, I didn't even know, I don't know any practitioners in Mexico. So I'm sure there's some there or the South. <laughs> <laughs> But people would think, oh, no, they're not where I are, but they just don't know how to find these people. Many lay persons wouldn't understand what neuromuscular dentistry is. And so that's why I like trying to make this easy for the lay person to understand their options 
because you can't just walk into any orthodontic practice and get the same level of care. You could walk out with extremely different outcomes and how your facial structure ends up looking and how your health is, whether you have complications for life or whether you're set on the path of health and longevity and more vagal tone and you know, all the things. So <laughs> you spend a lot of time. Yeah, so it's shows. I yes, I spend a lot of time and money on uh, continuing education because uh, you never stop learning. It's all about uh, relearning and continuing learning. Uh, but the first thing is you need to keep an open mind, you got to be uh, open to anything. So recently, I've come across, uh, when I was in Geneva, I was hearing a lecture at a functional orthodontic uh, association uh, conference, uh, someone talking about energy. So uh, you get all of this right, and if, the, uh, if there is a lot of negative aura, uh, at the time, I was laughing with him, but then at the, by the end of that lecture, I'm like, hmm, maybe, maybe I should try that, because... A lot of our patients, they become negative. Hmm. Their body may be positively responding to our treatment, but mentally, they are still in that negative phase where, no, I still have the pain. No, I still have the pain. But because we do a lot of objective uh, analysis, we know that their muscles are in the right place. We know that the airways opened up. We know that the tongue posture is better, but the patient is still having pain. Mm. which is then more of a psychosocial issue. Mm. So uh, there is a tendency uh, for dentists easy, because it's easy that way, uh, to describe these patients as uh, when they have pain is because of stress, mental stress. Mm. I would rather call it airway stress, which is not being treated and hence becomes mental stress. Mm. So... If you take care of the airway stress, then their mental stress goes away. Yes. But there is that 1% of patients who are always under the duress of their psychosocial issues because they have been so long in pain, can't blame them, mm. uh, which then might need, you know, the negative energy or a release or whatever. People right. just do that stuff on the head. <laughs> Maybe that is the next thing I'm going to learn. Yeah, right. I don't know. <laughs> Reiki Masters, yeah, I don't know. But, you know, you just have to keep an open mind. Yes. And, you know, we have skyrocketing anxiety and depression now with young people. And it's very common now for people not to sleep well and not even know that they are on the cusp or moderately affected by sleep apnea. They're in oxidative stress all day long because, as you say, they have airway stress. And that's going to manifest as inflammation, fatigue, anxiety, and depression. And that can become just on how people experience life. They actually don't know how to feel yeah. well. Um, so there could be that feeding into our youth feeling so badly these days emotionally. Yeah. Absolutely. See, uh the, the best medicine for the human body is oxygen, mm. okay? And especially oxygen when you're sleeping. And especially oxygen when you're nasal breathing while sleeping. Mm. So uh, the final aim of the doctor who's treating that patient has to be that. The patient is breathing through the nose during sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to 
plan your treatment with that in mind. Mm. So, uh, because if they're not, uh, then the tongue drops back. There's not enough oxygen going in. Your body is not getting enough oxygen to repair itself because repair happens during sleep. Mm. So if there's not enough oxygen at that point of time, and if you're not going to stage three sleep, because that's when the growth hormone is released. Uh, if you're not reaching there because of your tongue falling back and blocking your airway, the exact, the body's reaction is to get that tongue forward. And that happens as a clench. So people think clenching and grinding is mental stress or in my part of the world, they say it's because of worms and pediatricians provide deworming tablets and medicines, you know, to get rid of the clenching. All it could be is a blocked airway uh, because the body's response, the physiological clenching is a physiological response of the human body to keep that airway open. Mm -hmm. And if a dentist just looks at, because clenching as an example, when you throw a ball, you exert a force of like 50 to 75 microvolts of muscle pressure. Uh, when you clench during the daytime, it's around 150 to 200. But when you clench during night because of an airway stress, it goes all the way to 1,000, 1,200 microvolts. Mm. And at set pressure, the bone would fracture. Not joking. Now, as dentists, see, I'm just going from one topic to another. As dentists, if you start looking for those tori, you, you know, tori formations, torus, uh, bone depositions uh, on the mandible and on the maxilla. Okay. So they're like uh, bony exostosis that are on the mandible and the maxilla. If you see them, 99% sure they are clenching. Again, that's the body's response to stop that bone, the, the jaws from fracturing because of those huge forces during the clenching. Mm. Again, people just don't understand that. People think it's mental stress. No. Yeah. And how am I coming up with these numbers? We measure even that. So when you do a sleep study, I'm a boy. I love my toys. The more the toys, the merrier. So we have this equipment called the GEMPRO that analyzes your desaturations along with your heart rates, along with your clenching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So every clench we measure as to how much uh, microvolts of force is being uh, exerted. Mm -hmm. So, so we know. So every time there's a desaturation, your heart rate flutters. So the difference between your uh, tachycardia, I mean your maximum heart rate to your minimum heart rate, should not be more than twenty. Mm. As you age, if you're not doing anything about your airway stress during sleep, that gap increases, mm. and then you lead up, and that's how you have, have these cardiac issues. Yes. So cardiologists. Not spending enough time on their sleep study, on a patient's sleep study, is not good. They need to be spending more time with sleep studies. Yes. Is this why they say someone suffering from obstructive sleep apnea is more likely to suffer a heart attack during a night's sleep, whereas mm -hmm. generally cardiac mm -hmm. problems happen during the day? If you don't suffer from breathing issues, they happen during the day. But if you do have breathing yeah. issues, when you're sleeping, the heart's fluttering, you're more likely to have a problem at night. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's because of the oxygen desaturation. Now, 
Again, it's all about diagnosis. It could be atherosclerosis. It could be cholesterol. It could be anything else as well. Again, your diagnosis needs to be right. So let's start one step earlier. Snoring. That's the first symptom of an impending cardiac attack. Okay. So how can you decide that? If you're snoring, do a sleep study. The sleep study will let you know if that snoring is habitual. Like, suppose you have a drink more than normal and you snore. Mm. That could be more habitual, okay? Because your muscles are relaxed, you know, the tongue falls back. Mm. Uh, but if it's pathological, which the sleep study would tell you, then you got to be more careful. You need to be treating that uh, snoring. So what is snoring? It's the tongue falling back and hitting the uvula. Mm. That vibration, yeah. that snoring. So, uh, and the vibration actually lengthens the uvula because it's it's getting inflamed. It gets bigger. The uvula gets bigger, no. and it causes more snoring. So it's only going to increase more and more. Yes, it's because it's it's oh, cause and effect. This this is fascinating. Uh, when you were describing sleep, <laughs> sleep earlier, it's so great how you described it because. Everyone hears sleep is so important to your health. Get enough sleep. But many people would think, oh, I get enough sleep. I get eight hours a night, so I'm okay. But it's the quality of your sleep. And people don't realize they toss and turn. They toss and turn and come out of the deep REM sleep because they've got the tongue and the clenching blocking the airway. And so they're not entering deep repair and growth hormone and detoxification and so their body really stressfully mm. suffers every night. But they think, oh, I get enough hours. Yeah. It's not about Absolutely. the hours. It's about the quality and the oxygen saturation. Absolutely. Mm. So so 25% of your total sleep needs to be REM sleep or deep sleep. Uh, there's no way you can record it by someone sitting and looking at you. The only way could be either a smartwatch or a proper sleep study. So if you're in normal sleep and you're trying to get into REM sleep, bam, desaturation, whoops, back to normal sleep. So every time that happens, you don't get into stage three and REM sleep. So there's not enough growth hormone that's released. So uh, that's why you age because our body produces less growth growth hormone as you age. Why? Because your stage three sleep gets lesser and lesser and lesser. Mm. Uh, so the only way to maintain youth is to get into stage three sleep. Mm. So I'm trying to get into stage three sleep because I want to stay young. Yeah. <laughs> it's very important. It's no use just having it's no use just having all those collagen supplements. You got to get into stage three sleep. Yeah, and if you don't, does that mean cell death is happening and cell repair isn't? So it's yeah, yeah, okay. Yes, exactly. That's the Sorry, that's the uh, uh, the bottom line, the 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 layman way of putting it. Uh, sorry, I was being very technical. Mm-hmm. It's uh, if you don't have growth hormone, your body doesn't repair. So the cells keep dying, and you age. Mm, okay, let's put this yeah. towards kids because a lot of children have sleep disordered breathing. And so they are coming out of deep sleep or whether it's the symptoms like bedwetting or I don't know, like sweating, night sweats. There's funny things. I don't quite understand this, but you might be able to tell me. 
Um, and then oh. the cognitive function as well. Like tell us about what you think is happening to kids. Yeah. So, uh, well, because you brought up symptoms, mm. the number one symptom is mouth breathing, which every parent would be able to see uh, uh, their kid go through, their toddler go through, which would then, um, then they would get diagnosed with ADHD. Mm. Uh, they would get diagnosed with uh, aneurysis, all these diagnostic terms, okay? Uh, ADHD is, a, you know, it's, it's not a disorder. It's a direct symptom of sleep disorder breathing. Uh, if you're not getting enough oxygen, that, that, that body is hyperactivating because that, uh, the heart is looking for more oxygen. So, um, even in the West, even in the US right now, they say that, uh, an adenotonsillectomy is the number one treatment for, uh, ADHD. So. But it's just that there's not enough uh, ENTs. See, even as a parent, your first aim is to protect your kids from getting any surgery involved, you know, getting them involved in any surgery. Mm. They're not realizing that opening up the airway, doing an adenotonsillectomy, yes, it's important in the first two, three years of your life, but you don't need it after the seventh year, seventh year of life. So if it's creating a problem, get them off. It's as simple as that. Um, I've seen patients who are diagnosed with uh, dyslexia or diagnosed with autism. They, they, they get better. I'm not saying, I'm not saying I cure autism or dyslexia. I open up their airway and if the body wants to heal itself from that cognitive dysfunction, great. Kids need to be checked very early in their age for tongue posturing, uh, for a tongue tie. Uh, I've heard of you know, some good hospitals in the West, no, 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 nothing in our part of the world, in the West having a tongue-tie specialist, not just a pediatrician, a tongue-tie specialist in the delivery ward. So as soon as a baby is born, you don't have to do a tongue-tie release. You just have to snip it off just with your finger. It's as simple as that. Mm. Um, and, you know, the baby will not have any of these issues later on. And if the mother is there, you can learn, you can teach a lactation specialist. So... These specialists, the lactation specialists and the tongue tie specialists need to be there in every uh, delivery ward. Yes, I lose my patience. Just a joke. <laughs> but, uh, but, but that's how you uh, take care of that patient's health for the future. It's more like, uh, you know, prevention is better than cure. Yeah, absolutely. Tongue ties run in my family. My kids inherited them. And seven years ago, I didn't really oh, know that they were so bad. And then I cottoned on when my eldest was like three-year-old. And by that time, they've developed all the incorrect swallow and mouth breathing and habitual dysfunction. Yeah. Yeah. So you give them the phrenectomy, but that doesn't resolve their posture and their breathing. And so there's so much undoing yeah. that I just wish someone had told me to move on. Because you know what? By the time you've started prep, the teachers are saying, go and have him assessed because, you know, you talk about um, ADHD or on the spectrum, and I'm not saying that it's not a real thing, but we are seeing climbing cases and stats of children having this. But 
people well, need to have ADHD is a real thing. It's just it's just that people uh, doctors are not looking for the cause of that ADHD. Yeah. Uh, uh, the 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 way they treat it is with drugs like Ritalin and uh, other you know anti anxiety drugs. It that's not the way. Drugs is not the way to treat uh, a disorder. If you're resorting to drugs, that means your diagnosis for the cause of the problem is not correct. Mm-hmm. And it could make the situation worse because you're giving them a stimulant and their sleep is already poor because these children may be suffering <laughs> sleep disorder breathing. Yeah. And then you give them a stimulant drug and now their development is being messed up even further. Yeah. So it's... Be, and they get hooked onto it. Yeah. It'd be nice if more doctors were educating parents about do the sleep study first, check their breathing first because they're in a sympathetic overdrive, they're hyperactive, they cannot concentrate, they're in oxidative stress. Can we resolve the breathing and sleep? Yeah. And if there's still an issue, then try to look at something else and a diagnosis. <laughs> which is why, which is why, uh, you know, I keep doing uh, podcasts and videos like these, and you know, I hope you're, uh, you know, you're you're doing a great service to the uh, community because uh, there's there's no other way for uh, parents out there or even patients. Forget parents. Parents themselves could be patients. You know, they they are not aware that they are a patient because mm. uh, if their kid has a problem, that parent might have a tongue tie as well. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't get themselves checked. It's because they don't know anything about it. They would go to their family doctor very regularly for a cold or a cough, or even maybe just to get prescribed uh, their anti-migraine uh, medication every every six months or so. Mm-hmm. When all they need to do is see if all of this is right. So uh, it's all about getting the message out there and uh, medium like mean, media like yours. Uh, education media, education portals on the subject is, uh, it's high time, you know, more and more people get to do this. So, so thank you, Kat, for, uh, you know, getting me on here. And I'd love to talk and spread the message. Yes, <laughs> fantastic. Thank you. The, you explained it so eloquently and your knowledge is off the charts because you're always educating yourself and traveling. <laughs> and um, I yeah. wish you'd start a clinic in Australia. That would be awesome. Or, or Europe. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, just to clear up that. All the doors are open. Did expansion and his breathing improved and the symptomology that had been present, it dissipated. More social, more flexible, eye contact. Wonderful. And so that's why I want to let other parents know because they might have their child diagnosed. But if they didn't know that they could be in oxidative stress, they're not checking these things. And I did have it in my family. I went and had a tongue-tie release um, six months ago. And the tension headache, that evening, I was like, what's going on? (laughs) Release the tongue and everything else seemed to, I don't know, rejig. So that was interesting. But uh, anyway, <laughs> wonderful to yes. have your time. Thank you so much, Dr. Raj. Oh, my pleasure. Um, my pleasure. Look- uh, sorry for clashing in when you were talking as well. <laughs> That's okay. I need to let you speak because it was so great to hear all of your knowledge. No, no. The delay had us a little bit glitchy there, I think, uh, on top of each other. Ah, That's okay. Yeah. All right. You and- <laughs> That's okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks for having me over here. Bye. Ciao. Nice to chat. Bye.